And at the end of the day, I was between two schools. I was between BU and a much smaller local school near the Chicago area. And I was going back and forth for months and I was making to-do lists and pros and cons lists and just analyzing this. And my dad was finally like, this is enough. We need to, we need to stop this. He's like, you need to mentally commit to one of these schools for one week. So he's like, for one week, you're just going to commit to BU. And whenever someone asks you, where are you going? You're saying, I'm going to BU. What are you doing? I'm doing this. And then for the next week, you'll commit to the other school. And when they say, where are you going? You say, I'm going there. What are you doing? I'm doing that. And he's like, if you don't know after two weeks, then I can't, I can't help you anymore. So I chose BU first because I said, you know, I don't think I can go that far away from home. And it's a big program and, and it's scary. And um, midway through the second week, talking about the other school, I didn't even finish the week because I realized I wasn't at all excited to talk about it. And it was just a safe decision instead of the right decision. Mm -hmm. So I booked myself a ticket to BU and I listened to the song Boston by Augustana on repeat and just decided that I was going to dive into this experience and really prove to myself whether I was a big fish in a small pond or I could make it on my own. And along the way, I met so many wonderful people. I mean, the athletic training and physical therapy program at BU is exceptional and taught me different things. Athletic training taught me how to think in the moment when I'm not prepared. And that was something that, I mean, I learned a ton from you and my mentorship there. And that was least of my comfort zone. You know, I was very comfortable preparing for things and trying to perform with preparation, but I was very uncomfortable being uncomfortable, clearly by the decision, even just to, to make the journey to BU. So through that athletic training program, I really learned how to embrace being uncomfortable which I feel like has been a huge uh, contributing factor into my success as being a leader because you're often put into circumstances which are uncomfortable and you have to be able to, to perform in that environment and embrace that and know that you're not actually unsafe. You're just uncomfortable, right? So Antigone, with your time at BU, we definitely spent a good amount of time together. And you were actually with me at a really kind of interesting point in my career. To be quite frank, I would say that a lot of times, um, a lot of our interactions was like a breath, a breath of fresh air. Uh, at that time, we had just gotten a new basketball coach at Boston University. And you kind of witnessed me go through some struggles. And then I learned a lot from you as a student. And it was a really great opportunity for me to, to share some insight and some background and then just be a preceptor for you. And um, so you, you're really helpful in, in that stage of my career as I worked through it. And then um, I'm guessing I was hopeful for you too. So do you have anything you'd like to share on that stage when we spent so much time together on the BU basketball courts? Oh, definitely. I can say I definitely learned more from you, Eric, than I think that uh, you learned from me at that point. But what was most interesting for me was learning the difference between a teacher and a teller. And throughout our whole interaction, I felt like I wasn't even sure if you kind of liked me because <laughs> there was so many times where you'd put me in a situation and not necessarily give me the tools that I felt I needed, quote unquote. And it wasn't until our last day where we were talking about the whole semester and how things have gone that you looked me in the eyes and you were like, I see so much potential in you and I think you could be great. 
And I wanted to push you and challenge you and, and force you to think outside of what's comfortable that I realized how much all of that had influenced my decision-making and made me so much more prepared in the ex experiences to come. So for that, I thank you. It was a very impactful experience for me. Yeah, I definitely remember um, setting you up in situations where you hit it, the nail on the head. I would give you the least amount of tools, but I knew you could be successful with what was placed in front of you. You always nailed it uh, every single time. So it was a lot of fun. That was our time at Boston University, and we've talked a little bit about BU, and I think that place holds a special place in both of our hearts. And so after you left BU, I see the doctor of physical therapy, I see the athletic trainer, but I see a lot of other credentials. Talk me through some of the specialized credentials that you've gotten now and how they kind of help you out, and maybe what, what was the decision process on deciding to go for those extra credentials as a professional? So both the athletic training world and the physical therapy world follow the medical model where there's specialization, residencies, and fellowship, similar to your physician. So your physician has to undergo a residency, but they may choose to undergo a fellowship and, and further their training. So for me personally, I just felt like I left school with a ton of answers. And then after working for a couple of years, I realized I had so many more questions and I needed further mentorship to kind of navigate that. The first thing that I did was um, take the sports specialist exam, which really is just, is just a credential that you've seen at least 2,000 patients in that specialty area and you've passed an exam in that to kind of differentiate specialties in the physical therapy field. I felt that the sports specialist exam was most fitting given that I'm an athletic trainer as well, but I'm most proud of my fellowship. So I did a manual therapy fellowship at UIC and this was a one year extensive training where you are both teaching classes for the DPT students, you're taking advanced coursework, you are writing paper to be published and getting hundred hours of mentorship by a fellow. And in my experience in the physical therapy world, fellows are some of the leaders in the profession and, and driving the profession forward. And so when I had all these questions after school, I said, I really need to expose myself with good mentorship, find people who can develop um, my clinical reasoning skills so that I can be the best version of myself for me and my patients. Yeah, I think that's really awesome. And I think that you hit the nail on the head here a little bit in terms of you know, when we look at the athletic training profession and, you know, not a lot of people would consider it a medical profession still to this day. And I like that you, you, you nailed that and, you know, we're, you and I are both passionate about that. We're in the kind of the, the new leading edge of, of promoting the athletic training profession and physical therapy, just allied health professionals. And I think that right now, athletic training is just now catching on to these specializations. And so it's pretty cool. You know, you saw something that you wanted to go after more and you're able to do that with these specializations. And hopefully that's something that, you know, will continue to develop in the world of athletic training. Because I think there's, there can be a lot of confusion in the world of athletic training, when the world, when the word fellowship is used, residency is used. And there's a lot of 
positions out there where they call themselves a fellowship or a residency. And it's not a medical residency. It's just, it's like a glorified internship. And I love that athletic training is, is really pushing forward to break that kind of past knowledge. Do you have anything to share on that too? Like, what are your experiences um, on, on how that's all progressing in the profession of athletic trainers? I agree with you. I think that for me, one of the joys of being dual credentialed is being able to support both professions and embrace the overlap, which sometimes doesn't happen as frequently as I'd like. But I think that with physical therapy, there's a need for these specializations because of the lifespan of the patients that we treat and these subspecialty areas that are so different. I mean, you can be a cardiopulmonary physical therapist and you're doing nothing of what I'm doing in orthopedic or mm-hmm. with pediatrics. And so I think that's where these subspecialties develop. But in athletic training, we have these, a similar need. Um, the specialty areas, I think, are different, but there's a similar need where when you are a generalist or a specialized generalist, that you have to find, um, you're never just treating, you're always in some specialty, as you know, I mean, you were in the performing arts, and that is a whole different type of patient than a high school athlete. And so yeah. there, I think there's, there's, room, there's room in the profession of athletic training to find some sort of specialty area and really have a conversation about what does it mean? What makes this different? What is the advanced level knowledge that would make a provider be able to care for this patient better than um, someone without this knowledge? And to just drive the profession forward so we can have that representation. Yeah, I, I think so too. And I think one of the one of the challenges in the profession of athletic training is we try to be perfectionists in so many different areas. And we have to let that go. We have to let it go where I was having this talk with with Mark Larson at Boston University. And you know, we have to have departments of where one athletic trainer has a specialty in, in one area and then another athletic trainer has a specialty in another area. Um, it doesn't mean we don't know about some of the other areas, but we, thri- we, we, we feed that athletic trainer to, to thrive in the specialty that they really are passionate about. I agree with you. I, I just think a lot of times athletic trainers try to do too much because we're too caught up in the old world of trying to please everyone so we could prove our value. If I reflect back, for me, when I started athletic training school and we were just breaking out of being a department of of physical education, that's crazy, right? Like we're healthcare providers, but we're in a physical education department. And and now it's really branching off and you see a lot of people that are getting kind of frustrated with where athletic training is going because you know, they, they don't feel like they're going to be able to get compensated for the amount of specialties that they have. But, you know, if we start following the model of physical therapy and, and other medical professions, we start following the medical profession, um, model that's, that truly is, then everything will start falling into place. Definitely. If there's anything I've learned, it's that we really need interdisciplinary care. We can't be everything for everyone. And part of what athletic trainers are great at is referring to the appropriate provider. I think we're highly underutilized for our referral skills. I often um, mentor and teach at Indiana State's University Doctorate of Athletic Training Program. 
Uh-huh. And so many people ask me about referrals and like, well, what do you think about someone referring to an athletic trainer? And I always say, I think athletic trainers should have the piece of paper because we're referring to people all the time. We don't, that, what a, what a referral really is, is someone saying, hey, I'm not the right person to treat you. Exactly. If they were the right person to treat you, they wouldn't be writing that referral, right? So I think athletic trainers every day are making these decisions of who's the appropriate person for this patient. Is it an athletic trainer? Is it a PT? Is it, you know, a nurse, a, a physician, et cetera? And I think we need to um, embrace our role and not try to be other professions, but learn from other professions that have similar models and, and really create an interdisciplinary, not just multidisciplinary, but interdisciplinary model where the patient, the athlete, whomever it is, is at the center. Okay. So let's kind of jump forward a little bit. Uh, let's discuss your current ventures and passions. And then it's kind of a long-winded question I have here, but you're currently involved and own AV Performance Therapy. And you're also in, into injury prevention, injury, what I like to use the term injury, injury risk reduction. Yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah, I, I, I use, I say, and I'll be very, I'm going to put it out there on this podcast. I still use injury prevention just because it, people kind of know what you're talking about, but I always introduce and I've been introducing the term injury risk reduction because we can never prevent an injury, but we, what we can do is assess the risks, right? So, and that's what we were really big at with um, Cirque du Soleil. It was all about injury risk reduction. So you're very much involved in injury risk reduction and also strength training with the tactical athlete. And I think that this is a new area. This is a really kind of awesome area. And I've seen you since leaving Boston University really become a leader in terms of owning your own physical therapy clinic and performance therapy clinic. And then also your, your ties with the tactical athlete. So tell us about those two areas in any order that you want to, like, I, cause I think it's awesome. So I, for the past six years, have worked with a company called O2X, which is run by four Navy SEALs. And with that company, I've kind of been with them from the ground up. And it's been an amazing opportunity to watch how tactical athletes themselves run a company, let alone um, the impact that they've made in such a short time. So my, my role on that team is as one of the injury performance or injury risk reduction specialists. And I'm part of a big team where we perform workshops, which is mainly educationally based to tactical athletes. This could be firefighters, law enforcement, military, et cetera. And we, we, we talk about a variety of topics. I talk about injury risk reduction. I talk about what pain is, why we feel pain. Yeah. We talk about preparing the body to move and the different environments that they get in. Because unlike the professional athlete, the tactical athlete doesn't always know when game time is. So they can't fuel for game time. They can't warm up. You know, if the call goes, they're, they're in the truck and they're on their way. And so they're very vulnerable to certain stresses. And there's also a mentality with that group of individuals that can be a barrier for them to succeed in that type of environment. So it needs to be uh, interdisciplinary care for them. Uh-huh. We go into sleep hygiene. We talk about nutrition. They have um, parkour uh, professionals telling people how to get on and off the truck, right? Different Uh ways to control your body. 
So I'm part of a big team with O2X where we have a variety of professionals that are helping to the health and wellness of these tactical athletes. Myself as an athletic trainer and physical therapist talks about pain management, movement mechanics, injury risk reduction, what is different tissues, how can we do different exercises to target that specific tissue, what are common injuries that they experience, how can they reduce their risk for those injuries, and I go through a four to eight hour day, depending on the group and, and the setup, um, anywhere from looking at their feet uh, to gross movement patterns like a squat. I mean, some mm -hmm. of them haven't changed their shoes in 10 years and some simple education on, hey, we have to put our feet back on that little thing. You know, we probably haven't done it since we were in high school, but you really need to have appropriately fitting shoes can mm -hmm. help prevent um, some potentially reduce their risk for injury. There's a whole team of specialists. So we have nutritionists come in to talk about nutrition. We have individuals who are specialists in sleep because of their sleep schedules. Talk about how you can maximize your sleep in a very um, challenging environment and different, how to take different variables and really improve the quality of your sleep. Mm -hmm. Mental health is a big component with these yeah. athletes. Um, it gets very personal very quick. And there is definitely a culture that needs to be broken down. And, um, and talked about because there's um, nobody wants to talk about some of the things that they've seen. And, and me personally, I've had the opportunity to ride along with some Chicago firefighters. And it was the first time I ever performed CPR. And I mm -hmm. saw and did things that I never done before. And it was just another day for them, right? These are things they're experiencing every day. And so it, it can be challenging to talk about how that affects you and, and your mentality. And, and I think that it's a subgroup of people that really need our help. We're seeing trends in obesity rates and heart disease in this group of people that are just not being addressed. And they're the key to our health and safety. And, and they should be the ones that we're putting most of our time and energy with. But unfortunately, it's not happening. So I feel really blessed to be a part of a group of individuals designed to change that and to change the stigma and to really talk about what wellness means in a holistic way. It's amazing. And you've hit so many nails on, on the head of why it's so important to, for these individuals understand how to move and how to move better and then how to um, reduce their risk of, of injury. And then the, the other thing is, is, you know, we talked about this in Cirque too, when we did injury risk reduction, but the other, the other flip side of it is, you know, health and everything is great, but you know, with them reducing the risk of injury, it also allows them to do their job better and then potentially be involved for promotions and, and it keeps them working so they can have a paycheck coming home and, and earning that profession. Right. I mean, you know, we talked, we, as a, it can be a burden sometimes to have an injury in the professional world when you even like with the tactical athlete, um, or with Cirque du Soleil, it, it was very challenging um, mentally for the artist to have an injury. Not that they just didn't have the time to recover, but time was money and, you know, it, it could stress them out a lot. So that's another aspect. I mean, we don't say that a whole lot, but that's the other aspect is it allows them to be healthy and to continue to, to earn money for a job that they're very passionate about. Definitely. This group, unlike the professional athlete, doesn't know when game time is, doesn't know 
how long the shift might be. Doesn't know how many mm-hmm. calls will be on the shift. And I give this analogy to them all the time about the stress on their body. And I kind of say, Hey, you're, we're all holding up a rock every single day. And that rock is the amount of stress on our body. And sometimes if the rock gets too big, that could lead to an injury. Or sometimes if we're not strong enough to handle the rock that we have. Um, and unfortunately they don't know what the rock is, right. And they can't yeah. work in an ideal scenario. So I could teach them how to squat perfectly and we can fix that movement mechanic. But if they have to lift somebody in a bathtub who is obese, that's going to be an unideal scenario for them. And so they need to be even more prepared to handle those stresses on their body so that they can perform that task. And, and they'll tell you that their team dynamics are so important. And if just one person is out and someone else comes in, that it could throw off the whole the dynamic and it might actually increase their risk for injury because they don't know how that person's going to respond exactly. the way that they knew how their teammate was going to respond. So keeping things like lost work time is a huge is a huge thing to track for them and, and keeping the right team in, in place so that they can work as efficiently, as effectively as possible. Yeah, we had that at Cirque du Soleil, like when when someone would be out and they'd substitute in another artist in like a troupe. And it's the same thing. It would kind of it sometimes might throw off the dynamics of of that. But I think the biggest thing that you're hitting too, which I really like is, is the amount, it was that rock. Like these guys care, like put aside the, the, the physical nature of their job, but the amount of stress that they carry, because I think that when they're on the job, being able to, I think if I were in that position, I might need some counseling how to be able to manage the stress of never knowing when the bell is going to go off or when something is going to happen. How mentally do you you train someone to be able to manage that stress that it's like you're constantly, I feel like you're constantly at this level and then you have to be ready. It's like your, your adrenals are, are partly on like all the time. Totally. Mental readiness is something they talk a lot about. And I've had the the privilege of sitting on an, on some of the mental performance specialists speak and they talk exactly that. They're like, how do you be at a 10 when you need to be at a 10 and be at a zero when you need to be at a zero yeah. and really gauge that so that you can, you can preserve your energy for when you need it most. Absolutely. Um, I think the thing I see the most in this group is either they don't do much at all in regards to health and wellness, or they're on the complete other end of the spectrum and they do too much. And we're looking at overuse injuries because they just, their, their intention is there and they want to be stronger and they want to be fit. Um, so they're doing a lot, but it's important to appreciate, hey, if you've had a day where you've run a ton of calls, that's a day to focus on recovery and mobility work and um, kind of take the pedal off the gas and appreciate what the job kind of did to you that day. And yeah. then for other people, it's just getting them to do something. I mean, I'll take them through a basic warm up, And sometimes I hear this is the first time I've exercised in 10 years. And it's surprising, you know, so it's kind of getting the outliers back into the, into the mean. All right, Antigone. So we've covered the tactical athlete and your role with that group. Now I'd like you to give us some insight into AV performance therapy. Uh, Talk to us about your setting and your day and who you see and, and just all things AV performance therapy. I'd be happy to. I started AV performance therapy because I felt like I wanted to change the model of physical therapy 
Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I believe it's not going in a direction that I think is that great. I think that we're seeing that the the small business physical therapy shop can no longer survive and they're being taken over by more corporate environments, which have the potential to do some great things in the field because they can take a lot of data and they can really examine some things with all of that information. However, secondary to third party payer reimbursement and um, the lack of prioritization of physical therapy from third party payers, I think that what we're seeing is a model that is emphasizing throughput instead of outcomes. Mm-hmm. And as somebody that is really outcomes driven, I want to know if this patient is getting better because of chance, because of what I'm doing, because of time. And I really want to evaluate that because that allows me to be a better clinician for the next patient that presents with something similar or has a similar direction. And so the model that I've kind of created is one where it's not cookie cutter. You don't just have to come in with and get this much time for an evaluation and you get this much time for treatment. Um, it's very personalized to what the individual needs. Mm-hmm. And it embraces a couple things. Um, one of the concepts is that it's interdisciplinary. So I'm working, mm-hmm. I'm working in a gym called the Edge Sports Enhancement Training. And again, the owner's name is Mark Sitch, and he was the personal trainer that trained me when I was in high school. So that's mm-hmm. how my stories kind of come full circle is he has watched my career grow and has been excited about the things that I've done and wants me to bring that here for his clients. Yeah. So we have an office in that gym. It's a 7,000 square foot facility. And what he's created on his side of things is a way to make group exercise individualized and periodized, meaning Mm -hmm. people want the benefits of a personal trainer, but they may not want the cost of what it would be. And so sometimes we default to a group model where everybody's doing the exact same thing. And the benefit of that is you get a lot of people involved and potentially that motivates the individual. But the downside to that is some of those things are going to be a little too much for some people or a little too little for others. And how can you really progress it, um, progress that group model, which he has come up with a system um, and has been he's a very reflective individual. So he's following trends in the field and he's always striving to get better and that's just energy that I want to be around. Mm-hmm. So what I've come up with with him is he's hired my business to run the edge performance therapy out of his gym. And the model itself is such that, like I mentioned, depending on what you need, you can get. So if you're someone that's injured, well, we can follow the traditional PT model where you get an evaluation and then we treat you. But we, if you're someone that just wants to see if you're at risk for injury. We have an evaluation screen where you can come in and we'll, we'll go through that and we'll say, hey, here are the vulnerable areas mm-hmm. um, and here's how I would prioritize what we would do to help you with that. Or if you're someone with a chronic issue, um, these people, I think physical therapy is working hard to try to help. However, the model is limiting them. And I think that um, we have this, this model where you, you get discharged and you're, you're gone, right? It's like, oh, you're discharged. And if you want to come back, you have to go through the system again. And people in chronic pain or people with chronic issues, they don't fit that model well because they never really need to be discharged. They need some maintenance. They need some accountability. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the studies about physical therapy visits and chronic low back pain, if you have one visit a month for 12 months, it far surpasses 12 visits in four weeks because there's accountability, there's progression, and there's, there's a 
continuum of care that needs to happen with these chronic issues. So for that individual, we have an option for them as well, where we can continue to see them as needed based on what they need. Maybe they just need a visit to progress their home stuff. Maybe they need um, a manual intervention to manage mm -hmm. pain. But those types of things are going to keep people engaged and involved. So it's exciting for me to have created a system that can cater to all different types of patients and really individualize the care to what, what they need. My motto is rehab, retrain, recover. And the reason I pick those three words is because I think that's what I see the most. I think that there's a group of people that have an injury and they need true rehab. There's a group of people that just don't know how to move and need to learn how to do that and be retrained. And then there's another group of people who do a whole lot of things and they're very active um, and they're just getting a little bit older and, and may need to learn how to recover a little bit better because that's something that's more, that that's different. So I feel like we can't just treat rehab and try to fit other people into that. We have to really think about what is the goal of this patient? What do they need? Mm -hmm. And honestly, I, I think Pete's corporate PT will get there, but I, I feel like I, I want to call my profession out a little bit and I want them to be better. Yeah. I want them not to focus on output. I want them to measure outcomes. I want, you know, athletic trainers to be embraced in that setting in a way that I don't feel like they're currently being embraced because there's a whole potential for athletic training um, and PT to collaborate. And if they could do that better, the patient would get better. And I really think that we have to start measuring things that matter and not measuring how many patients someone sees per day or how many units they bill, but how quickly did this, get did this person get better and mm -hmm. compensating people based on their outcomes. If you get patients better quicker, that's what you're going to get paid more on, not just on volume. Yeah, exactly. That's great. Uh, that's awesome. So you're outside of Chicago, right? Where are you at exactly? How, and so where are you at exactly? And then how can people get in touch with you if they're in your area and, or even digitally? Like if people want us, you know, reach out to you via email or, or I don't know if you're branching into seeing or talking to people online at all, but like, how can people get in touch with you and, and see you? So we're located in Glenview, Illinois, which is a northwest, northwest suburb outside of Chicago. Mm -hmm. And um, people can get a hold of us many ways. The first is avperformancetherapy.com. has a lot of my information personally, as well as highlights the edge as well. And the edge's website is abetterwaytotrain.com. Mm -hmm. And I'm also featured on O2X's website, which is O2X.com okay. as well. And there's great information there. Good. I'm going to go ahead and I'll put all of that information in the show notes for all you guys. So you can um, go ahead and check out all of Antigone's uh, information and where she's been and then also getting in touch with her. All right, Antigone. So that was really great talking about your business ventures. Um, the next thing I'd like to branch into, which I think is really special, I've known you since you were in college and been in touch with you ever since then. Um, you're Greek. You're a strong woman. I also have a strong Greek woman in my life. And there, you definitely drive the bus in terms of leadership and athletic training and physical therapy. Why don't you talk to us about some of the challenges you may have faced or how you're driving you know, the leadership bus that I like to say a lot of times. and just tell us your challenges and how you overcome those challenges with your leadership style. 
Being a woman leader is challenging. I started this business and I can't tell you how many people after I announced that I was going to start my own practice said, oh, is Brian, who's my husband, going to help you with that? And I looked at them and I said, I think what you mean to say is, is Brian going to support you through that? Yeah. <laughs> that happens quite frequently. I think the words matter. And especially when I started working with the tactical athletes, did this lesson really come to fruition for me? But in my first ever workshop with Boston Fire, there was like one woman out of 70 participants. And I kept saying the word fireman. And afterwards, she came up to me and she said, hey, you know, just a little bit of feedback. Like if you could say firefighter, I think that that would be a better use of that term. And it really woke me up. And how many, how often I said things like fireman or policeman. And I hear it all around me all the time. And so I try to bring awareness to that point. They actually, it's police officer, firefighter, et cetera. So I think changing the words is important and really appreciating how the words affect the way that we do things. Even with exercises with patients, like there's so many exercises named after males. And I'm always like, where's the Wonder Woman exercise? You know, why do we have to say the running man? And yeah. so I try to even be just like equal in my terms of exercise. And people always look at me. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is like the Spider Woman exercise. They're like, what? Um, <laughs> but honestly, for me, it's been surrounding myself with good woman and male leaders. I think that that has been super important. My husband is a very big supporter in me. And he brings up this conversation more often than not so that I don't have to. And he often says things that I really appreciate, like when people are referring to sports and they automatically assume the man sport. He's like, oh, what are you talking about? The woman's, woman's team is killing it. And just bringing light to those things, because I think those assumptions can be challenging and, and diminishing at times. So I think it's we're getting better. We're becoming more aware. We are becoming a little sensitive, but I think that that's okay to be a little bit uncomfortable if it means that we are progressing. And I, I think we are. We just need encouragement and, and people like yourself that recognize women leadership and, and just leadership doesn't matter where it comes from and highlights it based on what it is. And I definitely can hear Brian right now. Um, so for all of you readers, our listeners out there, uh, Brian Vesey was a co-worker of mine at Boston University. He was an athletic trainer there with me as well. So, um, you know, Antigone and Brian uh, developed a relationship there. They are now just a dominating couple in Chicago. They're awesome. So um, I can definitely hear Brian um, giving these words of wisdom and. Um, you know, inspiring or just kind of um, putting you out there. Like he, he likes to do that. I think he's a good person that like he knows the right words to, to get you going and, and to kind of gosh down in Kentucky, they'd say, get you on your horse, you know? So, he is very self-aware. I think yeah. one of, that's one of the greatest qualities about him is there was, um, there's so many times where he could be in the spotlight and he will be very purposeful about when he chooses those opportunities. And sometimes I'll ask him, Hey, why don't you do this thing? And he'll be like, I just don't think they needed another white male up there doing that, you know? And so-and-so was also asked to do it. And I wanted, didn't want to detract from her ability to do that. And yeah. those moments, I mean, th that's true leadership in my opinion is knowing when to, to actually sit out and say, Hey, you know, this is not, um, I'm not going to add anything being here and I may actually detract from someone else's presence. Mm -hmm. It's it's amazing. I, I admire that about him and 
I strive to, to find that, that awareness as well. And, and really just focus more on standing my ground instead of pushing back. I think there's a difference there and, and we need, we need to, uh, as women just be comfortable standing our ground and not feel like we have to push back to be heard. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I do, I, 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 when I reflect back and, and how long I've known you, you, you've always stood your ground and you've always, I think the, why I think in my eyes, why I see you succeeding and doing really great is you stand your ground and then you tell your why there's always a why as opposed to, to why you're doing things. And to see you evolve past BU and then all your specialties and then, um, just driving that bus in terms of leadership with athletic training and both physical therapy is just, it's really, really inspiring. I, I think it's, I, I love it. Like I've learned, I learned more from, from you and from my wife than I've learned, learned from a lot of people in my life, you know, and to be quite frank, I come from um, a family where my, my mother was a nurse practitioner and the very early years of when nurse practitioning kind of started back, you know, in like the eighties. Um, so she was always bridging and pushing and standing, seeing her stand her ground so many times in the medical world of a male dominated world in terms of what she had to do. Um, so I love it. It's, it's really, really great. And I see you as, um, a continued just driving force in terms of leadership, all things physical therapy and athletic training. Well, Antigone, it has been so special to have you here today. I can't thank you enough. Your knowledge and passion for all things rehab, retraining, and recovery. See what I did there? It has been so awesome to hear your story and all about your passions. Thank you for empowering us through education. Eric, thank you so much. This has been wonderful. It's so fun to see where we started at BU and how you progressed me forward then and how you're continuing to follow my career and do so now. So I thank you for this opportunity to highlight the work that I'm doing and for uh, supporting AVPT. Yeah, it's awesome. And also, um, you're my first interview on the podcast. And it definitely will not be the last. So we'll be checking up on you and see how things are doing with AV performance and everything with the tactical athlete. Because I just think that, and also I think most importantly, uh, with uh, women's leadership and where you're going in terms of driving the bus in the uh, performance world, athletic training world, and uh, physical therapy world. So thanks a bunch. You have been listening to the Empower You Radio Show with Eric Gann and special guest Antigone Bessie. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcast. You can find us at EmpowerYouOnlineCoaching.com and also follow us on Facebook at Empower You Online Coaching. Finally, go look us up on Instagram with the handle at empower you underscore radio show.